0: How many of you have been off the high dive? All right. You remember what it was like the first time you did it? You remember what it was like? Because I'm pretty sure if you're like me, the first time you do it is like all your friends are gathered around and some of them have already done it before. And finally, you're like, you announce it, right? You announce like, okay, I'm going off the high dive. And so what do you do? You start walking over there and you start, the closer you get, the higher it gets, right? And so you're kind of walking by and then you're like, oh, wait, I got to go get a drink, Right. Or i got to go to the bathroom because I'm afraid I'm going to wet myself when I get up there. Uh, but, but you know, it doesn't look that high, right? It doesn't really look that high. So, so so you start going up the ladder and you start climbing one at a time. And then a very fateful thing would happen. Someone would get in line behind you. And then you're done, right? Then, then you got to go. you got no choice. You're up there and, and you finally get up at the top and you look down and you're like, how could it be that far down? When I looked up, it didn't seem that far. But now that I'm looking down, it looks really, really far down there. But once you told your friends and once you got up there and once there were people behind you, there's nothing you could do about it. You had two choices. You had two choices. That's all you could do. You could jump or you could make everybody else go back down the ladder and do the walk of shame back to your friends where they would make fun of you mercilessly for the rest of your life. Could you still feel the emotion of the first time you walked up? to the platform and you were going to jump off the high dive, Norman Rockwell painted it so well. This is perfect right here. That's it. Isn't it? You know, like, oh my gosh. Well, that's kind of where I'm at today. Okay. I kind of, I'm kind of feeling like that. I'm out on the, I'm out on the diving board and I'm here, I'm getting ready to lead our church into a new future, into a new place. And I think I might throw up. Okay. That's how I feel. And I feel sorry for you that are really right close here because that would be a problem. I mean, I've done it before, but this time the board is higher and, and things are different than things have ever been before. Okay. I'm getting ready to lead this church into a, an initiative to help us raise more funds so that we can go out and do more ministry in the 21st century. And I've done this four times in my 21 years of, a, as a minister here. First time in 1997, it was kind of, there were 300 of us and, and we needed to raise funds so we could buy property. And it was kind of like the low die. And then the second time was 2004 when we were over in the gym, the and we had to build more space, and so we did it. And it was kind of like the medium dive. And the last time was in 2008, where we were going to finish children's space, and we were going to start lockport, and we were going to do student space, and we were going to do all that kind of stuff. And it was like the high dive. And now I'm here, and I feel like one of those circus freaks, you know, way up there. Because I can't even see the water from where we're at right now. And the water is choppy, like it's never, ever been before because of the economy. And so I feel a lot like this kid, kind of scared and. Excited at the same time. I can't tell you. I mean, I, I, I'm like, Oh, I'm going to die. And then I'm laughing because here's why I'm laughing. Cause I've been off the high dive before. And some of you have been off the high dive before. And you know, that once you go off the high dive, there's nothing like it. And you want to come back and you want to do it again. Because when you launch off and you do, you do a cannonball, when you do something for God and you go, go a little bit farther with your faith, there's nothing like it. And you're going to want to do it again and again. And the times we've done it before, it's been awesome. And I want to tell you that your spiritual life will never grow like it's going to grow in the next five weeks during this series. If you will listen to God and try to try to track with God during this, you're going to grow because Jesus said where your treasure is, your heart is, and your heart and treasure things all going to go together and it's going to be awesome. Okay. I promise you that that's going to happen. If you decide not only that, here's why I'm doing it. Here's why I would climb up a higher level and go do this in the middle of, a, a, of an economic time when I know that people are struggling. Here's why I would do this. And it, and it comes back to a theological conviction. So I want to make sure that you know that right up front. Okay. Jesus said, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. And I believe if Jesus said that to the people of his day, then what he would say to us today is, look, you guys have got people all around you that need me. They need me in their life and you need to get busy. Why do I say that? Well, here's a timeline of world history. Okay. From zero Jesus day back at the beginning up to 2,500. Okay. So we're right around 2000. We're, we're on both sides of the millennium, give or take a few. We're all within 1950 to 2050. That's the time that God has put us here on this earth to live. Okay. I want to show you what has happened to the world population since Jesus day. Look at that. That yellow mark that we live in has been the time of largest population growth in the world's history. So you remember, a lot of you remember when the population of the world was, up, was 4 billion people. You remember when it was 5 billion people. certainly remember when it was 6 billion people. That was just a few years ago. Now it's 7 billion people. You know, billion here, billion there. All of a sudden it adds up. That's what's going on, right? And the world population is exploding. And God put me in that yellow mark to make a difference for him in this time. And if God chose you and he chose me to be here in this yellow mark, then he must have decided that we had something to offer and that we had something to give. Okay. I can't imagine what it does to Jesus to know that 80% of the churches in the United States of America are plateaued or declining. 80% of the churches in America didn't reach a single convert last year. Four out of five. What do you think it does to Jesus to know that we live in the yellow mark and 3,200 churches a year close in the United States of America? Nine churches a day fold up in the middle of the yellow mark. It doesn't make any sense. Listen to me. Everything I'm going to tell you for the next five weeks is born from a deep theological conviction that I hold. And that theological conviction is that I'm here in the yellow mark to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. I'm here and thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That shouldn't just be a prayer. That should be my goal. If I'm living here, I want to bring heaven to earth. I want to help people who are on the earth get a piece of heaven, whether whether that's a, 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 a cup of water, whether that's a water well, whether that's food, whether that's a school, whether that's shoes, whatever it is, I'm supposed to bring heaven to earth. And I'm also supposed to bring the people that I know around me and the people that I can touch around me to heaven with me when this world is over. You could tell me I'm stupid, but I've studied it a lot. I have a doctorate in religion, and this is what I believe. I believe that we are all sinners and that none of us deserves to be around a holy God. And unless Jesus came and died on the cross for us, we were all in trouble. But that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's my deep theological conviction. The problem with that, and that's all wonderful for those of us who believe in Jesus, the problem for that is that what does that do for those who don't believe in Jesus? What does that mean for those who don't believe in Jesus? Romans 10, Paul said, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that a great verse? Hey, if you don't have Jesus today, all you got to do is call on His name. Say, Jesus, I need you to save me. That's all you need to do. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah. But then Paul never leaves it alone. <laughs> That's what he does. He says, how then can they call on the one that they haven't believed in. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? So that, that's my deep theological conviction. And, and it should be yours too. We're supposed to take the gospel to everybody around us. We're supposed to bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven. It's not just my theology. I, I believe that that's it. I may be misinterpreting, but I believe that my job is here to let people get into heaven. And to bring heaven to the people that are here. This is my new theme picture for Cannonball and uh, for my life. This is a picture of the kids in Nairobi who are outside the school that we helped to build. We've helped uh, build schools with other churches. There are 6,000 kids in the slums of Nairobi right now that are in schools and finding out about Jesus and getting meals every day, 6,000. We have like 800 of them are are sponsored by Parkview, and we've also built the schools and done a whole lot of other things. But these are the kids that are outside the fence that can't get in. Somebody just snapped this picture, and this is the kids that are looking in that wish that we had more room for them. And I would like for that picture to be symbolic for us because what we're getting ready to launch into in the next five weeks, this cannonball campaign that we're getting ready to do is about them. And it's also about the people that are around us that need to find Jesus and can't find a parking space at 11 o'clock. And, and what the, what the heck? Look at this. I just put 250 new seats in. Look around you guys. What, what are you doing? There's no, there's no, there's no room at the 11 o'clock service again. One week. That's what it takes. Okay. There's people outside. The fence that are looking that want to get in. Okay. And so for whatever reason, God has put me here in this yellow mark. He's put me here in the most rapid population growth of all time. And the fact that I lead one of the fastest growing churches in the country, 600 to 6,000 in 10 years. That's what's, if you just come, have come recently, that's what's happened here. 600 to 6,000. The fact that I'm in on that only makes me feel like I've got a little bit of a piece of the right track. Now, maybe we're on a little piece of the right track, but I'm not satisfied because I still know people who don't know Jesus, and so do you. And there are billions of people, literally billions of people out there who don't know Jesus. So I'm standing on the high dive, not because I want to have fun, not because I want you to follow me and have fun, but because I believe that this is the place, this is the, I believe that this is the single place that God has called me to the south suburbs of Chicago, Parkview Christian Church, in this yellow line of population growth so that I can help lead you to the place where more people can find heaven on earth and leave earth and head to heaven. Let me tell you the statistics. Thank you. I appreciate your, I appreciate your help. And no, I'm not going to jump. Uh, I, appreciate, I, I appreciate this, but listen to this. Here are the statistics. It's starting to blow me away. Because we don't, you know, you don't pay attention to to the long, you're just like, well, where are we at? Listen to this. Since 2008, the beginning of 2008, which was the last time I stood on a high dive and said, hey, we need to raise more funds so that we can do more things. We've grown 54% since the beginning of 2008. Let me ask for a show of hands. How many of you have come to this church since the beginning of 2008? All right, look around. Are you glad that we made room for you? Everyone except for that man over there whose wife drugged him. Thank you. I appreciate that. All the people over at Lockport. I mean, they might have been over here first, but Lockport didn't exist before 2008. That's what we did in the, in the last thing that we did, the Great Investment Campaign. That, that's what we did. All those people have come since 2008. That blows my mind. It really does. We also did some statistics about how many people are in our area. I know many of you drive... A lot farther than 10 miles away. Some people drive 50 miles to come to Parkview on the weekend for some reason. But within a 10-mile radius of our Orland campus and our Lockport campus, there are literally over a million people. So I would say, well, how could we not be one of the fastest-growing churches in the country if there's that many people around that need Jesus? I mean, that's just That's just the way that it's got to be. I'm going to give you a hard time about filling up my seats at 11 o'clock, but you know what? I want more people. I want to have more seats. I want to have more room for people to find out about Jesus so that we can reach them for Jesus, we can raise them up as fully devoted followers, and we can release them to go out and to do ministry and to change the world. That's what we're about. I want to give you one helpful little way to do it because I didn't know we had this. People ask me stuff sometimes. I'm like, I have no idea. Um, I I started seeing these window stickers on the back of people's cars. It said, Parkview Christian Church. I'm like, when do I get one? Well, they finally made them available and I finally figured it out and we've got some out there for two bucks. You can get a window cling and put it on your window and tell other people about Parkview because we are going to make room for them and we want them to come, tell them to come at five forty-five on Saturday, but we want them to come. We want them to be a part of this because that's what we're here for. Okay. So we're launching a new initiative to raise our generosity over the next two years. Um, Basically, what we're hoping to be able to do over the next two years is double what we have just a little bit less than double what we would do if I didn't stand on this diving board. We're putting everything together. We're not going to have a general fund and a building fund and all this kind of we're just putting everything together. And if we put everything together with our our general budget and our missions and outreach and all the things that we do, we're going to need twenty nine million over the next two years, which is a little less than double. Probably what would happen if I didn't stand on this diving board. And we're asking you to jump in. And take the challenge. And what we need is everybody to jump in and take the challenge. Watch this video. Imagine Tinley Park, Illinois, 1948. Just a train stop between Joliet and Chicago. But there were ladies uh, that rode that train that stopped off in Tinley Park that wanted a church there. And and so the dream was born out of that. In 1950, a small group started. And in 1951, uh, the Tinley Park Church of Christ launch. Our vision for the future is that Parkview will be a place where we will continue to reach the lost, where the prodigal will continue to find a place to call home, and where every Christian that comes will be able to make a significant impact in the 21st century for the cause of Christ. And it's, it's like everything that we've done from the past up to this point has put us poised on the edge, ready to go to this next place. Which is why we're calling this new initiative, Cannonball. Sport's got some spring to it. That's why kids love it. You just watch a kid go in and do a cannonball. They're going to they're, they're gonna say, oh, yeah, this is fun. I mean, it, it might be a little fearful, and they know that it might sting a little bit when you hit the water because that's part of the whole deal. But, but they're going to come out of the water, and they're going to go, this is awesome. And that's the... That's the kind of life that Jesus has called us to. All right, here's the deal about a cannonball, though. You can't go cannonball part part way, right? I mean, you go, cannonball! Eh. No, nah, this doesn't work. you got to go all the way in, and that's the beauty of the life that Jesus has called us to. It's all in. It's all in with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength. I'm going to be committed to the mission that Jesus has given me. I'm going to be all in.
1: For me, to be all in at Parkview means that you're giving it your all. You're knowing that... Whatever I'm doing, God is going to do infinitely more through me.
0: Being all in means we're going to do things differently than we've ever done them before. In the past, we've separated things out. We had this thing called a general fund, but we're putting it all in. We're talking all in together. For example, creative arts and technology. Do you know how many people come to our website before they come to our church? Do you know how many people watch us? Do you know Do you know how the worship and the technology happens in our worship service and how important that is? Almost a thousand kids, sometimes over a thousand kids, worship with us on the weekend. We have four or five hundred students that, that that meet with us on a our, on our weekly basis that are being discipled, that are learning about Jesus. That's all in. That's integration, the whole thing that's going on at the same time we've had thousands of people get baptized over the last couple of years we've got thousands of people in small groups but we need them to continue to be discipled and to deepen them in their spiritual growth somebody's got to take care of the administration of this place and it's not some separate general thing over here while all this is all about the rest it's all in it all works together so we want you during this time to go all in and make waves Better the cannonball is, the bigger the splash. You wanna make a big splash and you wanna make big waves, right? So what are we talking about? We're gonna plant new churches, because you know we're always about new churches. What does that mean? Making waves, we're gonna we're gonna serve the poor, we're gonna do social justice, we're gonna bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven, we're gonna bring heaven to earth, we're gonna do whatever we can to make sure that, that, that we can bring the kingdom of God to the people that need it right now. We got global outreach things going on in Kenya. You know we've got over a thousand kids that we support in Kenya and we're building schools over there and we've got all kinds of stuff going on in Kenya. We're working in Mexico with Vida Nueva. Again, we're working in Cuba. We're working in a lot of these different places to make sure that we can make waves, that that the the water doesn't just affect uh, around us, not just the, the area right around us, but that these waves go way out. That's the goal, making waves. We're not going to make waves way out there and not have waves in closer, so we've got to do domestic stuff. We're planting churches. Uh, we're partnering with New Thing to do uh, churches in Chicago. You met Kyle over Labor Day, the guy who's planting the church in uh, Salt Lake City, the fifth-generation Mormon guy. It's incredible. We're planting a church in Ventura right now. We're going to be planting in the, in the Northeast like we always do. We're going to be involved in those things because we've got to make waves domestically. We're going to make waves at our Orland campus. Obviously, we're out of room. Uh, We can't do a bazillion services. We can't start our Easter services on Valentine's Day. So we need to be able to do some expanding of our current facility there. What does that mean? Well, it starts with securing property. The next phase would be our east side community space, which would be the expansion of our foyer and a 250-seat chapel that we weren't able to do in our last part. In our last initiative, we're going to add all that over on the east side and then phase three will be an addition of up to 40% increase in our current worship center on the south side of the building. We need to be able to make some waves. We got people that need Jesus all around us. doesn't do us any good to make waves out there if we're not making more waves right here. When I was a freshman in college, I was severely depressed and an alcoholic. My life changed a lot since, since, since coming to Parkview. I've been able to meet other believers. I never grew up with friends who, who were Christians or who prayed together or read the Bible together and I've had that opportunity to meet those people now. It's been an incredible life-changing uh, experience. At our Lockport campus, we've got to make waves. Well, over 450 people come a weekend. It's incredible. Larger than most churches in the country by a long shot. We're going to be adding a service. We're going to be adding personnel. I mean, we're going to be ready so that more people from the surrounding area around us can come and worship with us at Lockport. We want to make waves at our Lockport campus. One more thing, we're going to be making waves by adding a campus. So there'll be another campus. We don't know where that is, but we want to have money set aside so that when it pops up, when it's ready to go, when God brings it our our way, that we're ready to go make some waves wherever that is. So listen, doing a cannonball involves making a decision. You gotta make a commitment, you gotta make a decision. It means taking off your nice warm towel and getting off your big fat chair. You gotta get out of your comfort zone and you gotta get over to the place where you're ready to jump in and do what God's called you to do. Is it worth it to follow Christ and to sell out I struggle with that for a long time. I like to be comfortable in my recliner. That's easy mm-hmm. for me, it's comfortable, I don't have to risk anything. Um, and it was a process getting out of that chair. But the more you do it, it's like exercising those muscles, the more, or the easier it becomes. Mm-hmm. And as God changes your heart and your mind, um, it becomes a lifestyle. So let me be specific. We're challenging each other, and I say that really because I'm being challenged too. We're challenging each other towards increased generosity and increased spiritual commitment over the next two years so that we can go all in and make way. That's what we want to do. So here's how we're going to do it this time. We're going to do this initiative differently than we've ever done anything in the past. What we want you to do is what we want you to think and pray and challenge yourself. Uh, To think about what you can do in total radical generosity over the next two years. And that's how we're going to go all in together in making waves. And that's how we're going to do this together. This isn't about us going to a big pool and having a whole bunch of grandstands and watching while a few other people jump in and do a cannonball and holding up the sign. This is about everybody getting in line to get on the board and jump in. Okay, this is about everybody doing something. I want you at the end of this 2 years to be able to look back and see what God has done in your life and to see the blessings that he's poured out on you and to be able to look back and say, "Look at these waves. Look at what look at what Jesus has done. I was a part of that." You're not doing this by yourself, man. I mean, this is a this is something that the, the staff are in on this, the, the elders are in on this. I'm in on this. Denise, my wife, and I are in on this. We're all in and making way. We're gonna make a big splash, and we want you to join us. For some reason bill brown's cannonball was bigger than mine hmm. um i know what your question is your question is dude have you been paying any attention do you realize we're in a recession and uh, my answer is yeah i have been um matter of fact the economy is so bad thank you the economy is so bad i got a pre decline credit card application in the mail Economy is so bad, I saw a Mormon with only one wife. (laughs) Economy is so bad, I saw Angelina Jolie adopt a kid from America. That's how bad it is. I saw a truckload of Americans trying to sneak into Mexico. I understand this, okay? I got a return check from the bank that said insufficient funds, and I called him. I said, is that you or me? That's what I'm trying to figure out here, okay? Believe me, I get this, okay? And I'm, I'm not some Kevin Costner guy going, you know, if you build it, they will come. All I'm telling you is we're pregnant. Okay. That's what's going on. We're pregnant. We have more people to reach than we could possibly do it. And we need to do it. And we need to make a cannonball. We need to make a splash. But I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about the uh, economy for a second. I got a scripture in first Samuel 14. I'll turn you back to if you got your Bible here. Let me tell you a little story about the Israelites versus the Philistines. Okay. Uh, Philistines are always the bad guys, Israelites are always the good guys, in case you're wondering. That's the Goliath and David thing, it's the Samson and Delilah thing, it's all that stuff, okay? That's the, that's the Bible history, okay? And at this point, the Philistines are the New York Yankees, okay? Let's stick with baseball for a minute, okay? They got all the money, they got all the facilities, they got all those things, okay? Three thousand chariots, six thousand charioteers, and soldiers as number, as numerous as the sands of the seashore. Awesome army. The Israelites have 600 people. That's it at this point. Okay? 600 people. If you've seen the, the new movie Moneyball, there's a classic line in there where Brad Pitt's character, who is the general manager of the Oakland A's, says, there's the rich teams, there's the poor teams, there's 50 feet of crud. That's my new word. And there's us. Okay? Rich teams, the poor teams, 50 feet of crud, and us. the the Israelites were the us. Okay. And the Philistines were the rich teams. That's the difference. Okay. And not only that, but the the Israelites have no blacksmiths. They don't know how to make swords or spears. So out of all of this whole group, listen to this, not a soldier, there's only 600 of them, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. Only Saul and his son, Jonathan had a sword or spear. Okay. They're outnumbered and they only have two weapons. So there's seriously a bunch of guys out there with rakes and hoes and pitchforks and a screwdriver. You know, they're going to fight 600 people are going to fight 6000 charioteers and all these numerous people. And, and, and it feels to me like this situation is like trying to lead a church against the evil one in a bad economy. That's why, that's why I like this scripture. Okay. It feels like what it feels like for me to be standing up on the board saying, Hey, you know what? We need to, we need to increase our generosity so that we can go out against the Philistines. It feels like they're, this is a tough situation. I mean, and the whole problem is the Israelites, they realize it's a tough situation. And so what are they doing? They're hiding. What are, what are a lot of Christians, what are a lot of churches doing right now? I really feel like they're hiding. They're hiding in these little holes. And the Philistines, I mean, if you read through this text, it's basically like the Philistines are walking around playing whack-a-mole. They're just waiting for somebody to pop up and, and then they knack them. And, you know, that's what's happening, okay? And, and where is their leader? Here's your question. Where is their leader? King Saul, this great leader, where is he? He is as far away from the battle as he could possibly be. And he's sitting under a pomegranate tree. I don't know why the Bible tells us this, but he's sitting under a pomegranate tree. He's sitting back, eating pomegranates, going, oh man, we're all going to die. What are we going to do? But thankfully, what we learn from this story is that there was one guy, his son Jonathan, who was not a pomegranate sitting kind of a guy. And Jonathan and his armor bearer decide, they sneak off away from the camp and they decide to go get an assessment of what's really going on in the Philistine army. Okay, And they come to this pass called Michmash. And on the pass of Michmash, there are 20 Philistine soldiers. Remember, it's just Jonathan and his armor bearer. That's all there is there. And there's 20 soldiers and there's a cliff on both sides. That's why there's only 20 soldiers there, because it's easily defensible. You can't get around them because they're on a road with two cliffs on both sides. There's nothing you could do. Humanly, this is an impossible situation for one guy and his armor bearer, who we find out only has one sword between the two of them, to go up against 20 men who are guarding a pass with cliffs on both sides. But verse 6 kind of shows us what Jonathan is made of. Come, Jonathan said, let's go over to the outpost. Of these uncircumcised fellows. Kind of feel a little Monty Python almost in there, don't you? These uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I love this. Perhaps. Perhaps. That, that, that's really what it's all about. It's really what I'm doing right now is just saying, perhaps I believe the Lord can save whether by many or by few. That's what Jonathan said. And, and perhaps he wants to do something about it right now. I may be wrong. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again, uh, but I'm going to be David. I'm going to take my five little rocks out and go up against the giant because perhaps God wants me to jump in and do a cannonball and make some waves. Perhaps that's all I know. Okay. What's your job? Your job is to be the armor bearer. The armor bearer said, do all that you have in mind, go ahead, I'm with you heart and soul. I know you're not probably there yet, but I pray that you will get to that point. If you're part of Parkview, that you say, you know what, I'm going to follow the leadership of this church and we're behind you heart and soul. And believe me, our leadership is all on board with this. This is not my decision. I'm not popping my head up. This This is the leadership of this church popping our head up saying, you know what? Perhaps God wants to do something. Go, and what we need you to do is say, go ahead, do all you have in mind. I'm with you, heart and soul. But Jonathan comes up with a plan. He's not completely crazy. He's like, look, let's have a sign. We need a sign. Maybe you need to do this in your own life. I don't know how this is going to work. But, but for Jonathan, it was like, let's get a sign. Here's the deal. We're going to pop up and we're going to show ourselves to the Philistines. And if the Philistines say, hey, look, there's, there's Israelites, let's go kill them. <clears throat> that's our sign to run away literally. But if the Philistines say, "Hey, look, there's some Israelites. Come on up here so we can kill you." Then that's our sign that God is with us. Okay? And which is really really interesting to me because uh, to me that was the opposite of what I would have done, right? I mean, I don't want the sign to be go out and stand on the edge of the diving board and see what happens. I want the sign to be, hey, over here. I would have made the sign be and when they, they come chasing us, then that's the good sign. And we can help throw them off the cliff and God can rescue us. But no, they made it. The, they made it the hard sign. I appreciate that about this. They made it the hard sign. So they both showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. And look, the Philistine said, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. I, mean, I wasn't making this up. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come on up here, boy, and I'll teach you a lesson. And that was the sign they were looking for. And so Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into our hands. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty weak sign, isn't it? (laughs) Don't you think right about now the armor bearer is going, look, like, dude, why didn't you ask for, like, Elvis to appear in a cloud singing Jailhouse Rock or something? I mean, this is kind of weak looks to me more like woo here's your sign than there's a sign if you know what i'm saying verse 13 jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer right beside him right behind him and he opened up a can on the philistines that's in the original hebrew you can't really see it in your in your <laughs> translation opened up a can on the Philistines and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. And in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men, two guys, one sword against 20 guys and 20 swords. And they won the battle. How does that happen? Well, they were either ninjas or there was a miracle. Okay? But that's not the coolest part of the story. Okay? Most of us would go, wow, that's awesome. They took a leap of faith and God took them through it. I want you to see the rest of the story because this is where it really gets good to me. Then panic struck the whole Philistine army those in the camp and those in the field. And those in the, I mean, they see two guys and one sword beat 20 of their people and they all started flipping out. Okay? And it was a panic. Sent by God. And Saul's lookout at Gibeah and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. And Saul said to the men who were with him, Hey, come on, you guys, we're winning. I mean, literally. What a great leader, right? Hey, come on. Oh, I forgot about God. Yeah, God might be involved in this. Here's, here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that as, as Parkview goes out on the edge and decides to jump in and make a big splash and bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven, what I'm hoping is is that a bunch of other churches and a bunch of other Christians start looking around and going, Hey, why are we hiding in this hole? Why, why are 80% of the churches in America stagnant or declining? Why don't we go do Hey, let's muster the forces. Look, God still lives. God is still here. There are still miracles. Maybe we should go join the battle. That's what I really want to see happen. Maybe the other churches will get off their pomegranates and come and help us and join us in this battle. That's what I really want. And hey, let me tell you something. I know I know, a lot of you are new. I saw your hands go up. Okay, A lot of you are new. I get that. If you don't want to be a part of this cannonball, you know, it's okay. You're welcome to hang out here. If you don't ever want to be a part of a church that's growing and doing something crazy for God, then four out of five churches are dead. You should go there. Okay? I mean, you won't have to be asked to do anything. You just come in and sit whenever you feel like it, and you'll never have to do anything. But if you want to pee apart... Of what God is doing. He's going to call you to a greater commitment. That's what we call discipleship. I heard about a church that was on fire one day. And uh, you know the fire department was trying to put out the fire. And, and it wasn't going very good. And the preacher showed up and he's walking around you know. Trying to be the preacher guy. And he sees a guy that hasn't been at church for a long time. So he decides to you know just go, you might as well just go for it. And he goes hey uh, brother. I, I, this is the first time in a long time I've seen you at church. And the guy turned around and said. Preacher this is the first time in a long time I've seen the church on fire. This is what I hope happens. I hope that for the first time in a long time people go, hey, you know what? Yeah, economy. Yeah, 21st century. Yeah, it's the post-Christian era. Yeah, people don't believe the same anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we got all these excuses for why we're sitting back on our pomegranates, but maybe one church could just jump out and go, hey, we're going to pop up and say, perhaps God actually wants to do something. And maybe they'll follow us. Verse 20. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went into battle. Listen to this. And they found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. I mean, this is awesome. Okay, this is the work of God. This is a miracle. He didn't need he didn't need the, the Israelite army to go do anything, just like the walls of Jericho. You just march around it seven times and I'll knock the walls in. You don't need to fight the Philistines. I'll make them kill each other. That's God can do that. When do we forget that there's a God who could do that? I don't understand. Verse 22, when the Israelites who were hidden in the hill country, who were hiding in their little holes, heard that the Philistines were on the run, they jumped in and joined the battle in hot pursuit, and the Lord rescued Israel on that day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord... Jonathan didn't rescue, the armor bearer didn't rescue, Saul certainly didn't rescue Israel. The Lord rescued Israel. Why? Because somebody stood up and said, perhaps, perhaps. Do you know what perhaps is? It's called faith. (laughs) Really, isn't it? I mean, isn't that really what it is? It's faith. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And you can't always be sure of everything. When do you get a sure thing? And are you guys going to go deer hunting pretty soon? Do you know you're going to find a deer? You're not going to get a shot? I mean, do you know that? A- anybody invested in the stock market? Is that a sure thing? You know that? I mean, how's that worked out for you? Is anybody married? I mean, do you know that? I mean, seriously, 50% of marriages end in divorce. Why would you go into there... He went into it with a perhaps. Brad, I'm sorry to quote country music, but Brad Paisley had a great song on his last album about comparing marriage to going up in an airplane, and he was making fun of it. Who If you knew one out of two airplanes were going to crash, would you ever get on the airplane? Of course not. So why do you do it? Because of love. You're going to do it because of love, because of a perhaps, because you believe that you're going to make a difference, that things are going to change because of who you are. You believe you can do it. You're going to jump in and do a cannonball because you know that you, you know that there is a God in heaven and because of love, you're going to jump in and you're going to do it. Ecclesiastes 11 talks about not watching the wind and the clouds. In other words, you know, don't be always, here's what's going on. Okay. People, people are watching the economy and they're, and they're watching public opinion and they're watching politics and they're, and they're watching the wind and the clouds and they're going, wow, you know what, we, we shouldn't really do much. We're just going to hide in our holes for a little while. Let me, let me tell you something. If you wait for all the stars to line up and, and all the things to happen, you're going to be sitting on your pomegranates for a really, really long time. Nothing's ever going to happen. When do you ever see a miracle happening when there was a perfect window for everything to work out. Is that, was that the Red Sea? Was that, the, was that Goliath? Was that the feeding of the 5,000? Was that the empty tomb of Jesus? Did you ever see everything lining up and all the stars being in line so that that... No, it was a miracle. So I'm telling you that I believe in a God of miracles. And I believe that God can do miracles. And I believe that that's why I'm going to stand on the edge of this board and do a cannibal. That's why. Sometimes you have to move out on a maybe. To get a miracle. I think you always have to move out on a maybe to get a miracle. Hebrews eleven six says, Faith is being sure of what I hope for and certain of what I do not see. I'm certain that there is a God in heaven and I know that I hope in a God of heaven and I know that he put me in this yellow box of time so that I can bring heaven to earth and earth to heaven and so I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to get on the edge of the board and I'm going to jump and I'm going to make a big splash. Again, Norman Rockwell. I believe that it's going to be scary to be involved in a miracle. I believe that you're going to have to get all out from under the pomegranate tree and go climb on your hands and feet to get over to the Philistine outpost and be involved in this battle. And it's not going to be easy. But there are only two names mentioned in this text. One of them was the pomegranate sitting... King Saul, who was the chicken, and one of them was Jonathan, who said, Perhaps. And we have a choice. To decide which one we want to be. The disciples were freaked out about this. Don't worry if you're freaked out about it. The disciples were freaked out about it. They said, God, how Jesus, how are we going to do this? And Jesus said, with man, it's impossible. but With God, all things are possible. Of course, you're not going to be able to do this. Of course, we're not going to be able to do this. That's why I got to bring you back to God. And here's what I want to say to you. If you're out there and you're you're skeptical, I, I know all of us are at the very beginning. We all are at the very beginning. I get that. Just kick back for a minute and watch what happens. Here's what Gamaliel said when Peter and John were doing miracles and and the rest of the Sanhedrin were like, man, what should we do with these guys? Here's what he said. This is good advice for you. He said, listen, in the present case, I advise you leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. The elders and the leaders of this church are smoking crack and we've come up with some kind of a stupid idea to do this stupid thing in the middle of this bad economy gonna crash and burn and hey I'm okay because I'd rather try something for God and fail than never try anything for God in the first place but if it is from God you will not be able to stop these men you will only find yourselves fighting against God that's faith and friends that's cannibal that's what we're getting ready to do I was talking with some staff this week you know we're all in the same boat and they were saying, you know what, I, I was really nervous about this whole idea of trying to do this uh, capital campaign and do this thing to try to raise more funds, to do more ministry, you know, build a chapel and, and save. we're going to build a, a house for sex slaves in the city of Chicago. We've got all kinds of great things that are getting ready to happen. And everybody's all over all the projects we've got going on that we want to do with this money. But everybody's afraid. And they were like, you know, I was afraid and I, and I prayed about it. And God brought back to mind to me, um... The mass baptism service. She said, you know what? I, I was really skeptical about the mass baptism service. We had a couple of years ago. She said, I, was, I thought it was kind of nuts, you know, bringing an extra tub and and doing this crazy stuff, you know. And she said, I I, I just thought it was I, I just thought it wasn't going to work. So I sat back at the first service and watched in amazement as the Holy Spirit came upon this place and people started lining up. And she said, I sat at the end of every service with tears in my eyes realizing I just really didn't believe enough in a great big God when 743 people came forward and got baptized that day. And I believe that God wants to do it again. And you may be like, hey, you know what, man, I I don't even have a job. You may be like, I've only got a screwdriver. Listen to me, I understand all of those things, okay? Okay. I just want to call on everybody in this place and everybody who calls Parkview home. I want to call on you to think and pray about what you can do with your little screwdriver. What you and God can do as we join together and do something. I'm not I'm not looking for some fat cat, some sugar mama to come along and drop a 10 million dollar check on us and and fix all of our problems. I'd love to meet you if you're in that category, but if that happened, I wouldn't even tell you about it. Because I would take the joy away from you being able to jump in and do a cannonball. I don't want to do that. I don't want us all to, like I said in the video, I don't want, want us all to sit back and, 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 and watch somebody else do a cannonball and then hold up a 10 or a 9 or an 8 or whatever. And, oh, good job. I want all of us to do it together. I want you to think about what you can do to join us in the next five weeks. Okay? I want to encourage you to get in a small group. I do this all the time, but I want to keep doing it, especially right now, to get in a cannonball small group and get together with some other people and pray about it and study. We've got a DVD. We've got everything all ready for you to get involved in a small group. If you're in a small group and you said, you know what, we're not going to do the cannonball stuff. Yeah, you are. Get back involved in this. I want you to do this stuff, okay? Do this with me. Get involved in the cannonball stuff. We need everybody together, Okay. You can't do a cannonball way. You can't stick your foot in the water and make a splash. We've got to go in. This is all in discipleship. All in and making ways. That's what we're going to do. And I want to tell you one more thing. Don't leave till the end because here's what we're going to do at the end. I mean, it's not going to be some kind of a special service or anything, but we've got dog tags for everybody cannonball dog tags and they're in these uh buckets up here okay all these buckets along the front of the stage if you're in the balcony we've got them for you on the way out we want for you after this at the, at the very end of the service to come up and grab these dog tags and take them and be praying over because i want you to hang these around your rearview mirror or wear them around or do whatever so that you remember to pray just that's all i'm asking you to do just be praying god what do you want to do through me that's all um I was at Saddleback last weekend out in California, one of the largest churches in the country um, with Rick Warren, who wrote The Purpose Driven Life. It was Becca's parents weekend out of Biola. So I was a parent last weekend and we went out to L.A. We were out there with them and I I wanted to go to Saddleback because we got a lot of staff friends in common and such. And I ended up getting a chance to hang out with Rick Warren for a little bit. And I told him about the cannonball campaign and he has a special message for you. Essentially, that's what you said when you signed up to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I mean, if you just signed up for the salvation part, you're missing out. You signed up to be a disciple. You signed up to follow Jesus. And Jesus led us. We're going to have communion right now. He led us with the example of laying down his life for us. That's the whole point of communion. That we are imperfect people. Back to my theology. Back. We are imperfect people who do not deserve a chance to be around a holy God. And only through Jesus' blood and His forgiveness of sin can we be around a holy God forever. So are we going to take that and go, Woo, I'm glad I'm in and head on up to heaven. I, I'm not. I can't. I can't walk around in heaven realize I didn't help anybody get there. And neither can you going pray. God, I just pray that you'll be with us right now. Where you lead us, we will follow. You've taken me to some crazy places and um, you've taken Parkview to some crazy places. It's amazing. In some regards, it's amazing what you've done here. And in other regards, the fact that there are a million people around us, most of whom don't have a church home, and the fact that there are billions of people around the world who don't have you and they haven't even heard of you let alone believed in You, let alone called upon Your name, means that we have more to do because we're not going to take this bread and this cup and eat, them, eat this bread and drink it and, and say thanks and go on our merry way without realizing that we have a responsibility and a privilege and it's awesome fun to jump off the diving board to take this message to everybody else. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.